Hello, you're about to listen to the first episode of Smash Edemia. This is a new podcast uh, focused on the academic side of gaming and obviously uh, uh, with a focus on Smash. Hosted by myself, Dr. Piggy, uh, PhD Louie, and you don't hear her on this episode, but uh, she comes in on, on later episodes, uh, Charlie Morrow, Lady C, Peachy Keen. This is a really interesting project for all of us. It does give us an opportunity to explore a side of of gaming that tends to be uh, overlooked by the average gamer. There is quite a bit of research being done all over the world on the impact of gaming on a, a number of different aspects of life. And it is really interesting to be able to to dissect some of that research and, and really present it to to a listening audience that that can use that and and grow from it. I'm I'm so excited to to start this project and I'm really excited to continue it. This is the first episode, like I said, and with that in mind, I will I will kind of. Prime the thought. This is not the the final format of the show. In that, uh, I do have a, a proper theme song coming, a, a custom theme song coming. Just gotta get some paperwork done because it is a uh, it's a doozy. And like I said, we do have a, a fourth host who you will hear in later episodes. The, the first episode, it's just the three of us. Scheduling wise no idea um i'm realizing as a as a student who's juggling the the process of, of trying to finish my degree and uh hold two jobs as well as do side projects it is remarkably hard for me to find time to get things done i do have a couple workarounds that's completely irrelevant though don't worry about it uh i expect that there will be an episode either every month or twice every month um right now i'm leaning towards every month just because again times time is a hard thing for a student um yeah i'm i'm ranting at this point so i'm gonna shut up and i hope you enjoy episode one of smash Ademia. hello and welcome to Smash Ademia. This is a new podcast uh, done under the Mind Games Media kind of umbrella, with a with a focus entirely on academia as it refers and relates to video games, with obviously a focus on on Smash players and the Smash community. The podcast will be hosted by myself with the help of Louis, the TO and founder, I believe, of Smash at IUB. Yes. Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah, and uh, Doctor Piggy, aka Kyle, uh, a PhD psychology student at Northwestern. Yep. Hey, everybody. the The goal of the show is to shine some light on some of the misconceptions about video game research and some of the issues that that may arise in video game research. This will be a pretty critical look at how video game research colors the public perception of video games, as well as how video game research can be used to progress how we as a community view our culture and and work in a concerted effort to help each other. And we're going to do this by basically 
choosing a, a particular topic within video games to to dive into for every episode. For example, this week, the episode will be discussing some of the biases and misconceptions that occur in the, the earliest steps of video game research and how those those biases and misconceptions color the research as a whole. So to that end, uh, if you guys would love to introduce yourselves, say anything you'd like to say, go for it. Uh, yeah, I, I just am very excited for being able to have this outlet to do this. Um, video games and how they're looked at, I think, culturally, um, as well as within the community, I think you're always getting different perceptions. And so having a, a, a time like this to kind of talk about that and having our different experiences, both being members of the community, um, being invested in research and our different educational backgrounds, give us a great opportunity to do that. I know that um, for me, of being involved in tournament organizations, uh, watching competitive play, and you know, seeing the things that I've learned through my education, um, it's something that I've definitely wanted to talk about. And it's great to have two other people who are who are excited about it too. So I'm looking forward to kind of talking about these issues. Yeah. So, oh, wow, where to start? Um, at this point in my life, I have basically dedicated myself to researching video games and using them to answer questions about both cognitive and social aspects of the way we live. So for me, this podcast is an opportunity to make that research go somewhere that counts and spread the knowledge to people who maybe not would have it otherwise. So, you know, Smashers, we're all linked by the fact that we play this game. That doesn't mean that we've all studied, you know, critical gender theory or, um, uh, you know, differences in reaction time and um, access. And we not everyone has studied these complex topics like expertise and skill acquisition. So even just having this podcast have a few more listeners in our community, I feel like it's going to uplift the community um, and really advance research as something valuable to us. Um, so I've also been a smasher for a really long time. I've become um, really passionate about gender issues in the community as a woman. Um, and that's reflected in my research and probably will be reflected in some of the topics that we discuss. So really excited for this and glad that like y'all are <laughs> here and helping like organize, legitimize, legitimize the, you know, research aspect of knowledge formation. So thanks. Uh, I will also say in terms of some of the topics we'll go into, uh, this topic will obviously just be the three of us talking about it. But when when applicable, we will try to pull in other other guests uh from various walks of, of life, of research, what have you. But uh, I think we can jump straight into it. So like I said, the the topic for this week is going to be primarily on, on some of the biases and misconceptions within video game research. Uh, it's something that I, I became kind of acutely aware of uh, in the last several months where when I would read research, more often than not, a, a researcher would say, well, we went into it with this expectation, which is un- totally fine. But more often than not, the expectation was based entirely on their perception of video games. Uh, I think probably the the best example of this, or, or or one of one of my favorite examples of this, is this this massive uh, literature review done by Dill and Dill in 1999, and and all the papers that we refer to. Uh, there will be the DOI information both in the uh, in the information for the podcast, as well as linked on Twitter. So if you have any interest in 
reading further and, and, and kind of diving into research, we will have the resources available to you. Please so, do. Yeah, it'll be, it, should be, it should be a good way to get people involved and, and start a, a really critical discussion. Yes. So the, the Dill and Dill research from 1999, well, not research, it, it was really this pure analysis of, of uh, video game violence as it was kind of portrayed in, in research at the time. And going into this this thorough analysis, the the authors Karen and Jody Dill, which I still haven't figured out if they're related. <laughs> I assume they are, but have no idea. Um, they they went into it with the expectation that yes, video games increase aggression because all of the research that they had seen tended to link to that idea. And what they realized after after you know. 40 pages of, of critical analysis was no, there's, there's no actual like concrete link between video game violence and increased aggression in this case in children and teenagers. How do you think that that where, I guess, where do you think that that misconception started? That's, that's such a great, a great uh, bridge point or, or uh, to, to start from, you know, when I think of that and uh, I think about, the effect that um, cultural or current events have on the layperson's perception of video game and what that person who is playing that video games uh, looks like. And my anecdotal impression is that the, the, the common perception that I've seen portrayed in the media is somebody who is aggressive, is somebody who it tends to violence, um, who happens to do a aggressive type activity but also happens to play video games and so it's easy to link the two and so i from from what i can tell it would seem that if i'm a researcher who doesn't know much about video games which is fine that might be the lens that i will look at the research from i also think we have to consider the history of games as far as um looking back at the most popular video games um when gaming became a hobby it was more for adults, right? It was these computer nerds or whatever who um, were playing Doom and um, games that had more shooting and violence versus, um, and I don't know, I think as a parent, having that idea of what video games are is different than, and you're more likely to notice it if, in your children. Like uh, if kids these days are playing video games that turn out to be educational or spatially whatever, like Minecraft or whatever. Um, they're more likely to notice when there's blood going across their child's screen than when it's like peaceful block building. So there's some bias as far as video games are violent because they're expected to be violent and thus people seek out the violent examples. And I will say, especially in, in the context of, of research in the late 90s, historical context is super important because of things like Columbine, which really did color this idea that video games cause violence they said well these kids were playing doom that must be the linkage that must be the reason they had increased aggression and it tended to disregard a lot of other aspects of, of how their their lives might be but it is super important with it to really consider the historical context as well as some of the the cultural context because like you said back then the the perception of games was a lot kind of less well known I think now there is a, a better understanding of games just because gaming has has really hit almost the forefront of, of certain parts of American culture. 
we we start to see gaming as not just you know a, a time sink, but rather a way to tell a story or to uh, build certain skills you you learn how to do problem solving and research now tends to reflect some of those views but back Mm -hmm. then the the research was very one directional one dimensional right yeah and so so to add i guess another question to that then is i wonder what you know and maybe kyle could speak to this since um you tend to be more involved with current state of research now is how do we as researchers as people in the community encourage active researchers to look at gaming more at positive outcomes or more at just essentially a different a different lens than maybe what it once was well i would say that's sort of difficult to answer because academia is still not fully accepting of video games um Mm. a lot of people so the most popular video game research is for cognitive training whether of uh, children in educational settings or of aging populations keeping their you know executive control functions that sort of thing but beyond that any kind of um, gaming for fun is really looked down upon uh, there are a lot of conferences that there are enough researchers there who study video games that there could be a symposium on it but they end up meeting in somebody's hotel room in secret because nobody takes their research seriously so <laughs> right now um it's really a conversation that's only happening between people who already do video game research, which which is limiting. But the more we come out with these, well, I think um, Prem, you you brought in an article today about the positive outcomes of gaming. Am I right? No, I think that was uh, yeah. I, I, was... I highlighted that. Okay, sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, it was Louis' article, and. Um, so there, we can write more pieces like that, and we can try to get published pieces like that. Um, one way I'm taking this is I'm um, I'm spinning the expertise angle, the cognitive development angle first and foremost, and then leading into the fact that it's about video games. It sucks that that has to be the way it is, but yeah. Oh. And I think that's, I mean, that's kind of my my take on this as well. I think that if we start at video games as the research point, a lot of a lot of people kind of still look at that with some apprehension and realistically you have to you have to normalize it or or humanize it a little bit so uh, for context my my focus is emotion regulation as it pertains to gamers but if i say i want to study the gamers and how they view emotion regulation i tend to get a little bit more pushback Mm, yeah and that's interesting so i i I want to always, you know, bring it all back to the research, but I have to share, you know, some of my contextual background too. And so I am, I'm here working at at a university, and I I, I work with students very on, um, very frequently, and I work with other staff members who work with students, and this is all within the counseling realm. And um, you would think, and this is again my anecdotal experience, that as we games become more popularized, and through the mediums of Twitch and streaming. That perhaps this would help the layperson to view it more in a positive light, especially with these students who are becoming more competitive, students who are going to universities and forming competitive teams that are successful. But I have to tell you, it's still um, there is still a disconnect. Um, very, I, I have not I have not felt encouraged by the number of people who are aware of the shift that gaming has become. And whenever I say I'm interested in gaming, people. Uh, my fellow colleagues usually, and again, this is no fault of their own, are say, oh, so you're into gaming addiction. You're into gaming, um, right. how to fix gaming. 
and it's and, and I'm I'm continually surprised. Obviously, my bias is that I'm well invested into the community, but I'm still surprised to see. Wow, we have things like Twitch. We have it, and you can watch it on TV now. And yet, there is still a disconnect. And I think bringing up the addiction, or the gaming addiction discussion is is so prescient right now because that was published what in the DSM five uh, DSM five what uh, a year ago, two years ago. We still view it as uh, an area that is con- that requires more research, but it's considered um, under the under the umbrella of, of possibly being something that's more of a process addiction. But uh, I think the DSM is is acknowledging that it's like one of those criteria that still needs a little bit more research. I think we're we're gonna have a whole episode on gaming addiction. Am I right? Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we will. I, we will I don't want to go too far in that, but I think that one of the point I wanted to illustrate is still the, the how misinformation seems to dictate how we view gaming and thus affects the trajectory of research. Yeah, I think that time is going to be our greatest ally as far as getting good research and changing public perception because every kid these days grows up with you know Minecraft, Fortnite, normalized a total a hobby anyone can enjoy. So it might just be one of these time things. I mean, well, I w- it's... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead, because I was going to transition actually to Kyla's article because I really uh, appreciated it, but go. you can go ahead, Prem. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, it, it's as much as, you know, some hardcore gamers might, might view people like Ninja as somewhat problematic uh, for whatever reason, I, I do think that people like Ninja and Dr. Disrespect, these these kind of celebrity gamers, they do help the public understand that, oh, actually, this is this is mainstream. This it, 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 it doesn't necessarily have to be some sort of negative uh, aspect on or some sort of negative impact on on children or on whoever's watching. But it's just another form of entertainment. And I think that that kind of leads into do we view gaming as entertainment and do we do do we kind of cater our research in that direction, or do we still view gaming as a, as this very heavily interactive media that has an entirely different set of questions that we as researchers need to ask? And we're doing ourselves a disservice by not asking those questions. Exactly. I mean, for every um, empirical article looking at uh, what is the exact reaction time difference in people who have been trained or not trained in video games, there are so many like critical media studies out there about. Uh, you know, ethnographies of like World of Warcraft, and I there mm. are different um, approaches that are that are out there. It's just like the crosstalk isn't happening yet because it's a small domain. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm encouraged by the article that that Kyle brought today. This uh, I don't, I don't, I know you're probably going to talk about it more, Kyle, but I, I just love that the emphasis that you were trying to make on the importance of meta analysis. So we're talking about bias. We're talking about how do we change the trajectory of research, and I do agree with kind of what you were going to point out i'm sure about um, the importance of meta-analyses and i i just want to say i think that is a way that that we'll get there yeah so um the article that i brought in is a meta-analysis from 2013 by um powers at all they're a group out of pittsburgh i believe or new york um and basically it's uh, so what a meta-analysis is is um a look a study of the studies, right? So uh, a lot of us, we do an experiment. We have two groups. We write it up. We publish it. This is what happens when somebody looks at like 20, 30, 500 of those studies and says, okay, based on all of this data, not just location specific, not just from this lab, whatever, what is real? What have all of these things found altogether? Um, 
And in psychology, we talk a lot about the replication crisis as being um, some studies can't be replicated because they were like so manipulated to create a, a publishing result, a publishable result that um, it's not a real phenomenon, right? So these meta-analyses are really important to helping us find truth because they look at published versus unpublished data. They look at the what different people found with different populations, young adult versus adult, that sort of thing. Um, so this meta-analysis focuses on information processing, which is, you know, the cognitive aspects of uh, spatial reasoning and working memory capacity, um, all of these high, you know, high-level cognitive skills um, that video games may or may be training. Um, of course, anytime you do something for hours on end, uh, you're going to be changing your uh, neural pathways, you're going to be training your brain. Oh, you'll be training your brain in some way. And so this is looking at like, well, does it extend past just the game, getting good at the game you're playing? Um, and what I really liked about this meta-analysis was everything. <laughs> All right, well, let's dive deep. So from, I guess, from the onset, what is, what's probably the most, the most notable thing about this analysis for you? Well, oh gosh. It really strives to answer the question of how is our video games changing the way we think? Um, you know, some people say we can react faster. Some people say we have visual processing changes. But this looks at specifically, let me see. Um, well, first of all, they look at correlational studies, which is like take existing gamers and compare their scores to uh, non-gamers. And they take training studies, which are really important to figuring out, um, to dealing with the conflation that people who are good at something are often drawn to skills uh, hobbies that utilize those skills. So maybe gamers play games because they have fast processing speed. But this study found that even training um, is super, uh, creates notable effect sizes, creates results, creates measurable differences in the way that we think, which I think is super cool. Um, yeah. I will say just to kind of add on to the uh, the idea of player of people playing games because of the the skill required. I think that's one thing that draws a lot of people to to melee as a game. It it is a very technical game. Uh, the 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 required amount of kind of understanding and practice that goes into playing melee at a competitive level is is significantly higher than I think a lot of other games because there are more things to think about. And I think that does appeal to a, a certain set of players. Yeah. Um, right. Well, okay. To some of some of the major findings here, they found that video games do change the way we process auditory cues, the way that our motor skills function, the way that we deal with spatial imagery. So mental rotation, but also navigating um, spaces like on our computer screen. Um, and visual processing in general, so picking up cues and stuff like that. So that mm -hmm. is a wide range of skills that are trained by games. Um, mm -hmm. One really interesting thing is that they found that game training has no effect on executive functioning, which are the things that game training games, ironically, sell to us, or brain training games, right? They say, like, yeah. you'll think faster, you'll be smarter. And those things actually aren't being trained by gaming. So. There's there's one example of how yeah. a, a narrative may have reached the population uh, of like yeah. you can play games to get smarter. The real research shows that that's not the case. Yeah, I, I'm so convinced. Um, at, you know, to the level of of the, what this research provides, I love meta analyses. I think they are important, and I think through the detriment sometimes of 
a certain trajectory of research that a meta-analysis can help by sum up and say, oh, we've kind of been doing this thing and it, it has the, the quality of it hasn't been that great. And so kind of just that simple point that you made there of the importance of that finding tells me like, well, how come how come the, the general public doesn't know this? How come the narrative still continues? And and something I thought about when kind of reviewing this article that you brought is is um, when I asked myself that question is along with the, the the process of research is the peer review process. Now I don't want to take this too far, but I think it's important to understand is if we're talking about biases, misconceptions and, and the narratives, what's going on that that these these like ideas of more positive outcomes associated game aren't, aren't really coming through and these meta-analyses have to take you know years of research to say actually this hasn't really been the case what, what's going on there is it the peer review process is it the researchers right um okay so in a peer review process you submit your article and a bunch of people who are already established in the field look at it and they would decide whether or not this is a valuable contribution to science right right so just based on that, you're looking at an older generation who hasn't played games, and they're coming <laughs> yep. in and, and judging you um, right. because you're doing games research. So I think, yes, definitely, the focus on negative outcomes in gaming probably has something to do with the biases of the people that are judging science to be valuable, right? But the thing about this meta-analysis that is va- that and other meta-analyses that's super valuable is that they looked at unpublished studies too. So it's not just the findings that people oh. thought were like sexy and super relevant, but it's also the findings that somebody did their dissertation on. It didn't turn out. They're like, why the heck didn't it turn out? And then no one ever talks about it because you can't exactly publish a null finding. So mm-hmm. like unpublished literature and the publication problem definitely drives some of that mm-hmm. difference we're seeing. Yeah, it, it makes me... Um think about the and i know there are many gaming journals and it's probably in the last five ten years i've seen a lot more um, the importance of those types of journals that are having peer reviewers who are legitimately experts in that field not just from a statistical social developmental standpoint but are invested in actual gaming research and are now putting out academic journals specifically related to that that makes me feel more confident and helps with a more balanced view of the research and I think that, you know, it's important, it's actually remarkably important to to come back to the idea that a lot of the researchers that, that were doing this research kind of in the past 20 years or so, they did tend to be older people that, that weren't endemic to gaming. And and we are seeing this just this generational shift where a lot of people in our generation are more inclined to do video game research but we go into it with a better understanding of video game culture and video game community and how video games are are perceived both publicly and within our in-groups. It it makes me think more about what Kyle was saying about the importance of kind of ethnographers and, and kind of these um, people who are going in understanding the culture first, understanding the biases they bring in and then talking about what they learn from it and, and how that, play such a crucial role in the state of research of gaming. Yeah, there's a lot to be said. There's a lot that can be learned as an outsider going into a community like gaming. You know, people ex- over-explain things to you. They're clear in what they say, but there is so much value in being an insider. Um, when you already you already understand the way of the world, uh, the, the lay of the land, so um, you know what questions to ask to get at the constructs you're really interested in, and you already have this um, in-group rapport built, and there's... I think the underlying thing that we're talking about here is that you are more likely to have a positive attitude about gaming when you've already been playing games. And that really um, allows us to ask different questions 
Yeah, yeah. That 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 makes me think of um I, in the article that I was going to talk about, and I'll talk about it more. Um, they make reference to um Allport, who who talks about bias a lot, and I thought it was a great tie-in. And he talks about how how gaming can be a device of which uh, helps reduce um subgroup bias uh or or animosity towards subgroups now i'm not suggesting by any means it's going to solve racism or something like that but in the most minimal sense if you're taking people who have negative attitudes about gaming and people who have positive attitudes you put them on a shared goal which gaming can be that medium it, it enhances inclusivity so so being able to be part of that community and join and share that common goal i think helps reduce some of that bias as well I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've been silenced by the idea that we're all gamers. Why can't we just be gamers? There are some issues that, you know, women do face that are different in the community. But the fact that we can even appeal to the fact that we're all gamers and we're here to play the game does speak to the the bond that it forges in its community mm. members. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, that's something that, that I tend to... to reach for when i do when i do research when i when i talk to people about psychology as it pertains to video games it's this idea that you know we're we're, we are very much all in this together like we can have our our functional differences between what games we play how we play them who we play in these games but the reality is we do still have this this shared set of of qualities that does need to be investigated or explored more definitely to to go uh, back to oh mm. I was going to say just quickly to go back to this idea of of researchers you know uh, of an older generation that tend to have a, a misconception on gaming uh, I just want to quickly bring up the the other paper that I brought in the uh, the development of attention skills the die at all paper and mm. I remember seeing this paper for the first time and thinking and just kind of being floored because as much as this is a, a, a very valuable idea the execution was was questionable uh partially mm-hmm. that the the way that they dis- defined action video games was so limited that it it in my mind almost delegitimizes some of the the results for example the the list of action video games included in this study tended to focus entirely on games like the uh, apparently 007 games which are primarily first person shooters uh mm-hmm more first-person shooters, games like Devil May Cry, beat-em-ups, uh, open-world games like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. And that's it. There's only... There's your, there's your action games. It has to have a gun in it. That tends... Or or in, in the one exception in this entire setup, Bionicle, which... <laughs> Why? <laughs> Yo, I, like... On that list of non-action games, they have like Legend of Zelda. They have all these games that have definitely yeah. have action components. Um, I didn't, I also I didn't realize say, how much... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Just that this um, this meta-analysis I'm looking at identified that that specific group, that Die and Bavalier group, they are the number one publisher of, of um, both yep. correlational and experimental video game uh, studies. So like if they yes. are right now the most influential ones, I, you know, that w- when was your... A study published frame uh this one was i want to say 2003 okay Maybe so they have probably updated their definitions by now but nevertheless oh sorry no, no 2009 i know oh, that's not great either but <laughs> I, I i uh obviously was 
I, I didn't realize how much of a casual I was that I was just not playing action games um, for the majority of my childhood here. When that's that was my thought when when looking at it. I, I one of the ones that really struck me. I was like, which one of these games has to be an action game? I was struck by Gauntlet Dark Legacy, and I was like, right. oh my god, come on, that is that is action. Like objectively action, Jedi Knights. I'm like that is action. Yeah. Lord of the Rings here. Lord of the the Lord of the Rings games are like very very action driven. Same with Kingdom yeah. Hearts. This 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 list tended to color this idea of gamers must be pl- like if you're playing an action game, the only thing that that has action is like this Michael Bay view of action where it has to be explosions, guns, fire, like. Right. So if we can't all agree on the definition of what an action video game is, it makes it much harder to study action video games as opposed to other games. Like if you broke down each of these games piece by little piece by all of the little skills you use, your motor skills as you input, your uh, perception skills as you see an enemy, your your knowledge as you um, think of what weapons you have equipped. I I don't know. If you took all of those down, there are so many games that are considered action. But... um, whether or not they they train specific skills based on that, even even in that very baseline, like maybe they did this just because they're looking at specific skills, they they really fell short in this article. Well, and I, I wonder, um, Prem, did they actually delineate how they operationalize action? Um, a little bit, but they they didn't fully break it down. Uh, they okay. did they did say that they were looking for you know uh, quick reaction times to things like enemies coming in from off screen. But even then, if they yeah. if they considered these set of skills, they did ignore games that had those exact same qualities. The DDR game, you know, Guitar Hero, these are action games. Right. Now, that reaction time is, is intense. Like, the only games here that I think might not be considered action games by any of their definitions are things like Free Cell. Uh, like, I mean, I've never been... okay. thought Free Cell was an action game. Maybe you guys have. No, not really. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, well, I think Kyle already said it well, is that, you know, we, we need to have some unification on, on how we're operationalizing these constructs. It's just not, you can't compare any findings unless you can all agree on what you're comparing. Right, right. I guess that, that, that brings up a question I, I hadn't even thought about. Do we, do we consider there to be this, this, kind of subset of in-groups within researchers who they can agree and and within that in-group research holds a a separate value so in this case let's say we we completely disregard the game choice and we look at only you know these these perceptual things where oh how fast does a person react how how uh how much can they adapt to different situations and then compare it only to research that exclusively studies things like reaction times and ability to adapt. Thoughts? I might need you to rephrase the question. So we 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 look at this group, or we look at this this die and Bavalier paper, and we say, okay, well, their their definition of action games is a little a little tricky, and the way they operationalize it, they're they're looking for a few set of skills. If we disregard how they define action games and we only look at the set of skills, do we? Does that help the case for research like this? Uh, I think so. I mean, they're making a claim that when you do this video game, you're training a certain skill and getting better at it. So we really need to understand what that skill is in order to understand what it's training and why we might see different results across different people or um, 
developmentally? I think the idea uh, in, in, I guess, I'm, I'm you know, I, I would want to know more about the intentions and, and goals, but I, I would feel like we are trying to, as researchers, categorize genres of games. You know, we, we're, we, we, we have done that historically with violence, you know, games that have are more violent. These are the violent games and these cause more aggression. Well, these are the action games and they do this. So I think, I think, while I, I am, I'm concerned that it leads to negative uh, or it leads to bias, I, I do think there is an importance in understanding what types of games do what. Um, of course, there is the risk that we've seen of it leading to bias. Um, but I think it's still a valuable research question. If that gets to your point, Prem, is what I'm understanding. Yeah. It, it's just, yeah, my, I guess my concern my concern with, with papers like this and a couple others that I've seen is just the way they, they define games, the way they define genre. It, 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 it limits how they, they test it. It limits the, the population they choose from. And as a result... The, the conclusions here can't actually be applied for these larger groups, but only for a very specific set of, in this case, quote-unquote, action gamers. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, defining genres is more complex than we would want when, than we think it is, because even with the umbrella of action games, there is a more differences that, um, that many would consider. Right. Someone could go through um, 50 video games and say... 10% of your success in this video game is attributed to problem solving. 20% of it is to aim. 30% of it, or 10% is to resource management, whatever. But, like, think of how much time that would take. And th- that, that feels impossible. I mean, that's one reason why it's so important to have people that are endemic to gaming. So even if we're invisible to certain things we take for, or even if we are blind to certain things we take for granted, um, at least we have this like mental catalog of like, well, I do know that in The Sims, you don't kill people. And I do know that in Legend of Zelda, um, you can't ever change Link's costume. So at least we have like a, a general general sense that like Gauntlet belongs in the action video game category. Um, and so that's why it will be important for people who have played the games their whole lives to be contributing. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So where does a, I wonder, a more practical perspective, if we're, if we're and maybe we've touched on this already, if, if a researcher is listening and they're saying, well, then I, I, you're, I, I'm interested in learning about gaming. I want to do the research. I've never played a game in my life. What's the first step for me? Uh, well, reading the literature, <laughs> uh, looking at what other people yeah. have already done, um, but also like designing your studies like if you design a training study with tetris that's pretty straightforward and you can still learn quite a bit based on the the populations you choose so there are ways to engage with video gaming it's just hard to make genre-wide um generalizations without that genre-wide experience yeah well i guess if i'm wanting to learn more about the cultural aspect of gaming and this very issue we're talking about that i don't want to make over generalizations on genres how, as I, as a researcher, become more knowledgeable with that, and, and what should be my tactic? Maybe it's a metho- methodological question: Is do I need to create focus groups? Where, you know, do I need to get gamers and see how how can we agree on operationalizing genres? Um, and I know we're we're on the genre topic right now. This could be said for other gaming topics, but I don't want to mess it up as a researcher. So, so what 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 do I do? I just want to on that on that note, I want to ask kind of one kind of follow up to that. Do we think that if if you just do a focus group with with lay gamers that would have uh the same value as talking to to gamers within academia 
depends on your question entirely. <laughs> I think it does depend on the research question. I don't think inherently there's anything wrong with doing a, a, a focus group or gathering doing some sort of preliminary study that asks an open-ended question and then, of course, systematically trying to to gather themes, which, is, of course, is how a lot of qualitative preliminary research is initially done. Um, inherently, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But, yeah, uh, it, the, trying to understand what your research question is initially, I think, is, is the more important thing. Right. There, there might just be more groundwork where you're doing more pilot studies or right. doing interviews of top player or, you know, people who are really in the scene versus novices yeah it's a cultivated knowledge base and i guess that's that's what is so important to me is is we as researchers have have that duty and to be aware of what i might consider actionable what i could consider a violent game as easy it might be to classify that in my head i don't have that knowledge necessarily, so I need to do my due diligence as a researcher, just like with any research topic I'm doing, is to find out what what are the definitions of these constructs so that I can operationalize them correctly. You know, and I think that that comes to this comes back to this this inherent bias or the, or the these initial biases and that people have, where a lot of times questions will be the the initial research question will be based on something like this: Do violent video games increase aggression? Which very heavily colors how you pursue you know understanding that question rather than something like do violent do video games modify constructs and then alter behavior which has an entirely different tone and entirely different kind of style in which you might pursue that research right like if you start with the assumption uh, if you start by asking do video games make people hyped or aroused or excited um and i mean physiologically physiologically aroused um then you can say yes. And then you could ask why, right? But what happens instead is people say, do video games make people aggressive? Well, what are the signs of aggression? Well, bodily arousal is one sign of aggression. So let's go see if they get bodily arousal when they play games. And when they when they find it, they're like, yep, see, there's there's the aggression. But mm-hmm. it could be for so many reasons. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm a curious in that effect size too, because I think when, when we, we tell people, um, yeah, we found that it increases aggression. I am concerned about if that's negligible or not. It might be significant, but I, I care to a certain degree. I, I think aggression can be such a scary word to the layperson when we're talking about video games and increasing aggression. You know what? I'm okay with the level of aggression that's increased. I, I, I get concerned when it has more detrimental outcomes. And so I, I, I don't know that the layperson is going to read that article and say, oh, well, sure, it increased a little bit, but you know, is that necessarily a bad thing? Is that going to lead to the Columbine shooting? And unfortunately, I think people look at that and they say it will. Yeah, that's the big deal is aggression it does not. So there's there's like a physiological experience of, of aggression. There's social aggression when you're actually trying to hurt other people. And like just saying that you play a violent game. Uh, okay, we have a whole episode dedicated to that down yeah. the line. Um, but it does bring us to this idea that like you have to enter your research domain with an open mind and and with some knowledge of the community you're entering um, and knowledge of the constructs. And I don't know. We as, we as researchers always are going to bring in a bias, whether for or against, but correcting that bias through, you know, control groups and scientific explanations and peer review, mm. like mm. that's that's really important. It's absolutely crucial. I'm sold. All right, guys, we're going to do better research. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it is, it's so interesting, though, because I think, you know, I've, I've had conversations with 
with uh with James Gross about this where just talking about how video games impact emotion and, and mm. one of the things that ca- that came up was him him being totally open to the fact that yeah I I have no idea I don't know <laughs> and he was more than happy to listen to like oh this is you know there's there's this multifaceted view on video games and and there are multiple genres and each genre could el- elicit a completely different emotional response or a completely different behavioral response and i think that that you know that sets a great standard for a lot of researchers to really be open minded and, and listen i i agree with you and um would it be okay if i transitioned to some of the things that i i wanted to talk about in this article is that an appropriate transition there Oh yeah, no, go right yeah, ahead. Yeah, so so because I I think I, I I'm getting all fired up over here, and and I I think about some of the things I I wanted to talk about in this article, and and honestly, a lot of them we've already touched on, but I kind of I I think one there's a couple ideas I wanted to communicate. So the article I looked at was do video games promote positive youth development? Um, Adachi and Willoughby, and and they talked about a lot of the same issues that we addressed, which is uh, the state of research uh, hyper focuses on negative outcomes. Um, they posit a few ideas why, a lot of which we've already talked about. But I think one of the things that resonated with me was this idea of positive youth development, which is which is a construct that's already been defined in um, developmental social research. And and one of the things that's kind of well accepted that enhances positive youth development, which I guess I should describe a little bit without getting too much, but it's just care, things that activities that, in, that enhance development in a um, in a way on three three kind of characteristics intrinsic motivation, concentration, cognitive effort, and cumulative effort over time to achieve a goal. So what types of activities do that? And team sports, you know, we hear that all the time. Team sports um, are things that do that. Um, Physical activities such as football, baseball, things like that. But the thing is, the authors talk about, you know, if you put gaming into that umbrella and we say, well, well, gaming is kind of like a team sport. And it, it, it kind of does all of these things. It enhances intrinsic motivation. In fact, gamers have been shown to say that um, they love the challenge of video games. They love the benefit of engaging socially. All of these things are intrinsic. So they it, it makes them want to play. It makes them want to meet people. It helps concentration and cognitive effort. And of course, I don't need to go into that. It's playing some playing Melee. Um, it's all about concentration. It's all about grinding, as we say. It's all about learning new skills, problem solving. And uh, and this last part of cumulative effort over time, oh my gosh, you know, we look at the, the state of professional gaming, we look at um, people who, who who practice hours on end, um, and, and gaming definitely falls under that umbrella. And so these authors posit that when we talk about positive youth development, gaming falls under that umbrella, but how come we don't do that? How come we continually paint gaming as a negative light how come when we say well gaming falls under these positive characteristics that are associated with positive youth development how come we don't do that and so i left reading that i left that article feeling like how come we don't do that and and both frustrated and i don't know i I don't know if you guys had comments on that but i guess if i were to pose a question as yeah how how come um we still don't put gaming into that kind of that category that maybe team sports would be under. I feel like that is ex- the exact question we started this episode with, and we've been kind yeah. of meandering towards answering. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think it's it's this old misconception of video games as both a a, a waste of time and you know, especially in the late '90s, 
this thing that just causes violence for whatever reason without without you know a direct link it just said okay video games lead to violence and it it has heavily colored culture for for years i mean this is something that that comes up around the world where different countries just basically say no because we have this misconception on video games causing violence we're going to blanket ban violent video games quote unquote and and i i I just i hope and i think you know we are seeing this that that um you know i see this on the university level with universities now buying into recruiting students for gaming because the the, the mindset is shifting uh, mm-hmm. towards this uh, away from this misconception that gaming is bad but actually gaming can enhance academic achievement can enhance um, social inclusion um, but we're still it's still uh, you know this is something I've only seen in the last few years so we still have work to do I like the uh, I like mentioning social inclusion I think that that's that's not a topic I want to go into right now but i think that's definitely a topic we should discuss in a later episode oh definitely and and that's a huge misconception right because even as you say that i i my immediate is this the gamer who is in their basement and doesn't see the light of day and doesn't play with ever, anyone that that pers- that stereotype has come from somewhere and and i'm yeah. sure for the layperson it's even stronger and so so we're talking about misconceptions today and i would love to talk about that one even more <laughs> i mean i think that that gaming events really do it's something that I personally feel when I go to events where there's there's a sense that like even with complete strangers I can I can start a conversation and have like this wonderful conversation not just about the game we're playing but about our lives because we'll find parallels. Like yesterday I I had a a work mixer with all the new hires at at the career center. And I just, you know, I started talking to one of them. He said, "Oh, I play some video games. I used to play kind of competitively in when I was in high school." I play Super Smash Brothers, and it became this hour-long conversation. We swapped numbers, and then we talked for like hours afterwards. And it wasn't about video games; it was just, oh, this is how I grew up. This is these are the things that we had in common. And it was just because, oh, right, we we played these games and we had that in common, and that took us to this entire different level of of conversation, of discussion. I love it. I love that. Yeah. Well, I know that our episode is getting kind of long. Um, do we have anything else to say about the issues with doing with the research itself of gaming and the issues that are going to affect the things we talk about from here on out because of the limitations of research? I think that one of the things that we should just be like very very cognizant of is there is going to be this this gradual generational shift where research in the last twenty years has been primarily colored by people who are not endemic gamers. And for those that are, more often than not, it it goes through the peer review process with people that aren't familiar with games. But as more people like us tend to enter into academia with gaming as this thing we do on the side or, or this thing that we, we are genuinely passionate about, we will kind of slowly phase out some of those older scientists who, you know, for whatever reason they've they've had their biases and hopefully that'll that'll positively impact how research is perceived by the public as well as how research is carried out. I think that's that's going to be one of the the biggest kind of paradigm shifts in in video game research in the next 20 to 30 years. We'll see people both in our generation and in 
you know, these kids that are growing up now watching Ninja play Fortnite and and really getting immersed in that culture say, actually, you know what? I, I want to do more with that culture. I want to pursue more in gaming. And that's exciting. That's like super exciting to me. For sure. And, and I, and I think one of the ways that we, I, I would imagine that we will do in this podcast is, is highlighting the importance of understanding these constructs and uh, highlighting the importance of whether we agree with how the authors operationalize terms. So that way, and, and, and just as I'm sure we will do highlight our own biases. And I think if we can emulate that, um, hopefully we can see the same thing happen in the state of research. So I think that's actually a, a great place to kind of tie off some ends here. We can definitely pick this up when, if we if we have any more questions that we want to follow up on this episode, we're definitely able to uh, pick up on those at the start of the next one. And uh, when this episode goes out, I think if you're listening to this on the day it's released, it's uh, it should be March 23rd, maybe the 24th. Hey. And... <laughs> And uh, if you have any questions, feel fl- fr- ooh, feel free to uh, to tweet at me at Prem Um Should I spell it? Yeah, I'll spell it. Uh, at P R E M T H O T T U M K A R A. You can tweet at PhD Louis. Is it just PhD underscore Louis? Got it. And Doctor Piggy. Is there, you have you have Dr. Piggy PhD, right? D-R-P-I-G-G-Y PhD. Straightforward. And I'm sure that we'd be more than happy to uh, engage and answer any questions you guys have. Again, if you want to read any of the research that we discuss on the show, uh, everything will be linked in the in some Twitter. That will be put out soon enough, I promise. Uh, as well as on the information from the podcast itself. And I'm super excited. Like, I know we covered some really broad, like, methodological questions here, but as we dig more into the content, I feel like it's just going to get juicier and, like, oh, more yeah. relevant to Smashers and gamers. Um, so thank you for hanging in with our uh, research <laughs> thorough disclaimer that, that it's this first episode. Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't. I, for the first episode, I, I'm totally okay with uh, kind of having a little bit of banter simply because I think that as we as we kind of flesh out these more specific topics, like you said, we will, the, the conversation, the discussion will become very focused and it's something that a lot of people will be able to associate themselves with and, and really kind of empathize with. Word. So with that episode one, hey. in the books, thanks for listening. That is episode one of smash Ademia with me, Prem Thadamkara, Louis, Louis Limas. Plus. Limas and Kyle Noya. Hooray! Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.